You're listening to True Crime Exposed. I'm your host, Kayla Waters, and each week I dive deep with you into a new case. I'm joined by our co-host, Alicia Jenkins, who I call Mom. We present this show to bring awareness to the real humans behind these cases and to expose the monsters lurking all around us. everyone. Welcome back. We're glad that you're here with us today. For this case, we're talking about a vulnerable adult who was very obviously taken advantage of. It's a case, a devastating one, that rocks the small community of Homer, Alaska. But years later, a tipster saves the day. With that, are you ready for today's case? So I thought we'd start off with talking about kind of a bunch of news seems to be coming out of Idaho with true crime this week. So first, there were like four, those four kids discovered murdered at the University of Idaho. I sent you that. Do they, is there any more details? No, the most I found, like the most they've released is that there were four kids killed, a boy and three girls. Like college kids, right? University of Idaho? Yeah. Yeah. In one house, they haven't released how, like, it's just said that their deaths are being investigated as a homicide. It hasn't released how they were found. It hasn't released how they died, like, anything. Oh, my gosh. The person who called called about one person they found in that home being unconscious. And they've also said there's no, like, danger to the public, which I've been reading the comments on the University of Idaho's, like, campus page. And some people think them saying there is no threat to the public just outright means they know who did it. But that's not the case. People, I don't think, realize that if they think the crime was personal and, like, you know, related only to these people, then they're not going, they don't think there's a threat to the public. So the person could very well not be known by the police and they would still say it's not a threat to the public. Huh. I guess we just don't know until there's more details. But yeah, they're not ready. So I, we will definitely be following that and just kind of seeing what comes of that and, you know, what they release. And then the other thing, which is like a, on a much lighter note, it's still a, a case, so it's still sad. But we covered in episode 15 the disappearance of Michael Vaughn out of Fruitland, Idaho. He was five years old. And they just arrested someone today. Her name was like Sarah Wondro. And it she wasn't charged with the murder, but she was charged with like knowing more information and hiding that information. And this came. Oh, I got super confused on that article because it, like in the headlines, it said police. And then it said woman <laughs> arrested for blah, blah, blah. So I'm, I was like read it. I'm like police woman. Like a police woman. Like a, like a police officer. A police woman <laughs> murdered him? Yeah. You're like, 
re re rewrite that headline. I had to reread it because then I kept re- reading the article and I'm like, well, it's not saying anything about like being an officer. where she works and stuff. And <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, no, it just seems like someone else. It a lot of people must have been confused because one of my clients today was like, yeah, they arrested his mom, didn't they? I'm like, no. They arrested some lady that it seems it's just a house. They they had been digging in her yard like close that by. was close by. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows what's to come of that. That's great that they have a like arrest in it because obviously it's going to lead us to more answers, hopefully. But I was just thinking about those cases the other day because we covered his and then that summer moon Utah Wells case she was also around five if I'm remembering right and I was just thinking about that them the other Uh day like what's going on in their cases are they finding out any more information oh yeah they clearly are still working it we need to go back on the cases that are like unsolved and like do a little update in an episode yeah no that's like exactly what I was thinking about when I was thinking of them that I would like start looking back at any missing or unsolved cases and you know looking up things and just doing an update yeah see if any developments have come about yeah but for today's case we are going back to Alaska for a second week in a row I did not plan that Um, and this case was sent to me by my stepdad my mom's husband, Shannon. So shout out to him. He sent us this case a long time ago, actually. And I was just going through some of the stuff he sent me and came across it. I keep trying to figure out which one, but I'm not sure because he sends a lot. I know he does. He keeps us in the loop. (laughs) I love it. Every crime thing he sees, he's like, I must send to these these ladies. Yeah. So a 38-year-old woman named Anisha Catherine Murnane steps out of her apartment on Main Street in downtown Homer, Alaska. She's caught on the security footage at the apartment complex at 12.15 p.m. on October 17, 2019. Anisha, who usually goes by her nickname Duffy, had an appointment at the SVT Health and Wellness Center at 1 p.m. that October 17th day. And this wellness center is about one mile from her home, so it's an easy and quick walk for Duffy, but she never shows up. No one notices this day that Duffy is missing. In fact, two days go by before she is reported missing on October 19th, 2019. And this might be normal for a 38-year-old woman. Like, the wellness center would have just marked Duffy as a no-show, and since she lived alone, it could have been normal that no one would notice she was gone for a couple days. But here's why it's not normal. Duffy lived in the Main Tree Apartments, which is actually a complex ran by the South Peninsula... Can't talk. By the South Peninsula... I cannot say Peninsula. 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 <laughs> Peninsula. Peninsula. It's like not coming out of my mouth correctly. Just say peninsula. 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 You don't have to say peninsula. Yeah. It, I'm not saying that very well. But this complex is ran by the South Peninsula Behavioral Health Center Services. And this is a like supported housing complex. 
So she had moved there after returning to her hometown of Homer, Alaska, which in 2019 had a small population of just 5,931 people. So it's a small town just south of Anchorage, and it sits on the tip of the Kenai Peninsula, and that's down on the very south end of the state. So before returning to Homer, Duffy had taught preschool all over the world. She traveled to Honduras and Australia, Seattle, Washington, and just like all over the place to teach preschool. And she had this passion for children. Teaching them was her happy place. And you would think with her living in a supported housing complex, it makes you think she might be, you know, needs help, like not intelligent, but she is, she actually has a master's in Montessori teaching. So she, you know, went to college, followed her dreams. The reason she is in this like living situation is because she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and it became something she needed help with managing. So the staff at the main tree apartments will monitor the residents daily to make sure they're taking their medication. They were basically just helping her get back on track like with her medication and able to like keep up on it and she actually was so I think she was looking for a job at this time and hoping to move out soon now that she got her bipolar like under control. So with Duffy missing since the time she set out on that walk she had missed five medicine checks two meals and two nights in her home before a staff member was finally like you know what this seems really weird So they call the local Homer Police Department to report Duffy missing on October 19th, 2019. And with Duffy's mental health history, the Homer Police and the Alaska State Troopers work together to immediately issue a silver alert. And a silver alert is similar to an amber alert, but an amber alert is dedicated to children, anyone 17 years of age and younger. Whereas a silver alert is an alert for adults that are deemed to be a vulnerable person. So because of her like bipolar and that the fact that she was living in this home and like receiving help with her medication lets the law enforcement know that she is vulnerable and they want to get it out there immediately that she's missing. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Unfortunately, since the staff waited a couple days, they are like 48 hours behind already, but the police hop right on it. And they asked the community to contact the Silver Alert hotline at 855-745-8799. And with that, the news spreads. Duffy had grown up there in Homer, so the public is rocked by her disappearance. Her parents both live there in Homer as well, and she's the daughter of Sarah Berg and Ed Berg, who were pretty upset by the delay of reporting in Duffy's disappearance. Sarah Berg is Duffy's biological mom, and then Ed is her stepdad. They had this sense of security with Duffy living at the complex where they felt she was being looked over. But five medicine checks is a little much, (laughs) you would think. Yes. I wonder if there's a thing like you have to notice or you have to notify a family member or if they truly are living independent. Yeah, they are living independent. So maybe they had nothing like in place. And it was just after these two days that this staff member finally does decide to report her missing. So as officers start diving into the investigation, they obtain the footage of Duffy leaving her home on October 17th. She's wearing a blue jacket over a light blue shirt. She has blue jeans on with a pink and black plaid pattern purse slung over her shoulder by the black shoulder strap. 
and her wallet, cell phone, and ID are believed to have been in that purse. She is 5 foot 11 inches tall and around 160 pounds at the time of her disappearance. At first, police think maybe Duffy took a wrong turn. Maybe she decided to take a walk on a trail and got lost in the woods. Her family knows that she would never go with anyone she did not know. So this has to either be an accident or an abduction. Those are kind of the two options. But police did say at first they're definitely thinking it's an accident. So they start talking to the businesses along the route that Duffy would have taken and they are asked to check their cameras. Maybe a business could verify how far she made it or they would happen to catch her, you know, what actually happened to her. But in a day and age where we have more than enough technology, not one business was able to capture any footage of her. Their cameras weren't pointed towards the road or their cameras weren't working or they didn't have their cameras set to record. Only a live stream like video was available to them, which I always wonder, like, why don't we have better CCTV footage in this day and age? I don't know. I know. Like, it's always recorded over. It's always grainy and like you can't see it. It's always like just a live stream and didn't you didn't record it at all. It's like. We have a lot of technology and a lot of storage for technology, so we definitely don't need to record over old tapes. Like, we don't need to delete them after three days. <laughs> no. They don't need to be grainy. I agree. <laughs> like, we could just have a picture-perfect, clear image of everyone at every store, and we could have it all recorded and saved somewhere, but we don't. It's very odd. No. One person was like, why even have a camera at your business if it's only a live stream? Like, what is the point of your camera? (laughs) (laughs) I know. And sometimes I'm like, are the companies just being cheap? Yeah. I like I know some places will just put up a camera to like for the look of it to scare people like thinking that there's a camera there. But it might not even be working. But like just having the camera there makes the business owner feel a little like more at ease. Yeah. Of course, I feel like CCTV footage pretty much never helps in a case. Very rare. And it does not help in this case. So they have to move on. And less than a week after Duffy's disappearance, a search and rescue dog team is brought down from Anchorage, Alaska. And they're set up to track her scent. They start at her apartment building and they follow the trail from Main Street to Lee Drive to Pioneer Avenue and Kachemek Way. And this is actually the route Duffy would have been walking. The route that the dogs go on is the way that Duffy would have been going. Mm. And the dogs stop in front of the Homer's Jean store, which is nearby Cosmic Kitchen and the Kachemek Bay campus. And it's here that they alert their dog handlers that this is the end of the trail. The dog handlers explain to Lieutenant Ryan Browning that this alert refers to a likely car pickup. Police believe that Duffy does does get into someone's car at this point on her walk, but no one saw anything. So the way that the dogs ended their like scent trail and alerted their dog handlers tells them that she most likely got picked up. So they couldn't track the scent from there. Okay. So the investigators, they keep trekking on. They're taking Duffy's case seriously, like I said earlier. I mean, I don't think this department is overwhelmed with an abundance of crime. 
Of course, there's always something going on, but this is a small town, so they can really put their focus onto Duffy's case. The police chief had said that in his 35 years on the force in Homer, they had never had a case like this one. So they're not really investigating disappearances and homicides in this small town. Oh, that always makes me nervous. Because they don't have experience with it as someone like a yeah. police officer in the city. But would. I mean, you never know. Maybe, you know, one of the detectives worked at a big city for 20 years and retired to some small town. And oh, right. Exactly. Which picked, it, picked up another job. You know? Yeah. This police department was able to like acknowledge their lack of experience with disappearances. So they actually do use outsour- outside resources, including FBI help. And then they also hire Matt Haney on March 30th, 2020. And Matt becomes the lead investigator in this case. He was hired solely for this case. And he he's hired because not only is he familiar with the Homer PD, he was actually a former police lieutenant with the Homer Police Department, um, and he had experience investigating missing persons cases down in the lower 48, which for those of you that don't know, most people in Alaska refer to the main part of the United States as the lower 48, since, you know, Alaska's not connected directly to the United States. So after Matt comes in, there are human remain detection dogs brought into Homer and they start searching the city for any scents that may lead detectives to a body. Unfortunately, these searches result in nothing. Matt makes sure he goes back to ground zero when he gets eyes on the case. He's looking through every detail of what's been collected so far. He even interview, like re-interviews more than 100 people. So people they've already interviewed. And he says that it's always good to go back and recollect information. Because maybe someone never makes a follow-up call. Or maybe they will remember a new detail the next time you speak with them. Quote, someone will call up and say, you know, I've been meaning to say something and I've never made the call. You follow up on it and it leads to a conclusion. I've recommended this my entire law enforcement career. Trust your instincts. If something doesn't seem right, it's probably not. And Matt also doesn't want to consider Duffy's case as anything more than a missing persons case at this point in the investigation. He's not ready to rule out that she may still be alive. And he says that he needs to keep an open mind and not narrow down the possibilities until the evidence leads him to do so. Which I think is a good mindset for an officer. I think every time there is someone that goes missing and you're like investigating it as an abduction or something like mysterious, my mind does go to that they most likely were killed. Mm -hmm. But there are cases where people aren't, you know? Yeah, true. It's... Like, one of my haunting thoughts is, like, how many people out there are abducted and, like, alive and just being held that we might think are dead. I try not to think about it like that. I know. (laughs) That's, like, one. Yeah. Sorry, guys. That's one of those thoughts that, like, keeps me up at night. One of those just, Uh. like, oh, yeah. So, it's good for him to, like, kind of look at it like that. So by 2021, Duffy's case still doesn't have much information to go on. It's cliche to say, but it literally seems that she just vanished into thin air. No one saw what happened. No one can track her down. Her social media and bank cards have not been accessed since the day she was last seen. She's just gone. 
And then in June of 2021, there is a court hearing and they do declare Duffy deceased via homicide. So they decide without evidence of her body or what could have happened to her. They just think the circumstances were suspicious enough that she they say she is most likely dead and was most likely murdered, which her parents had petitioned the court to make a ruling that she had died. I think there's like a five year, like where they're supposed to be missing for five years. So they wanted that done earlier. I'm not sure, you know, what their intentions for that are. But her mom, Sarah Berg, said that she knew she would be declared dead, but she didn't necessarily know it would be deemed a homicide. And it was validating for her because she felt that she always knew it wasn't an accident and that it, she was most likely killed. So, well, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, she would reach out, right? Yeah. She knew that she didn't go off on her own. Like, and she just didn't believe it was some yeah. accident where she got lost in the woods or whatever. Yeah, if you guys, if I didn't hear from you guys, well, I mean, you, I could not hear from for a while because you don't ever answer <laughs> your texts or phone calls or anything. But I usually talk. <laughs> I, am I used to talk that. to you every day. Now it's more like every <laughs> few days. But like Carly, if I didn't talk to her every day, I would know like she was gone yeah like something's wrong yeah I do actually need to be better I've thought of that like if my family died or something like all of us died I've thought like who would notice because both of us ignore a lot of texts and phone calls so I feel like it'd take people a few days to realize it's true <laughs> oh, but yeah but no you like I think you just know as a mom what's normal like what your kids patterns are yeah is that like the family knows this person so they know if it's someone who would be likely to run off or would like get in this accident yeah and the homer police chief mark robble stated around this time that quote it's still a very open case i wouldn't put it in the cold cold status because we're actively investigating any lead or tidbit of information that comes in so Duffy's parents, their hearts are broken by their daughter's disappearance. And I mean this literally. Both Sarah and Ed Berg have suffered with chronic illness since being notified of their missing daughter. Sarah has a, had a heart pacemaker implanted while Ed had open heart surgery. He needed to have an aortic aneurysm fixed. And Sarah said, quote, the hearts got broken here. That's the truth. Which I was like, oh, I know. So Sarah also described Duffy as the sweetest girl that ever lived. She was quiet and introverted, so she really kept to herself and didn't have too many friends. So the bond she shared with her mom was so strong, which kind of makes me think of Carly. She's not necessarily introverted, but like she keeps her circle small. And I think because of that, you and her got super close. Yeah. You know, like I think when you don't have a lot of friends and you go to your mom mainly... Mm -hmm. Like, that's how Sarah and Duffy were. They were just, like, really tight. So she's devastated by just not knowing what happened. Sarah and Ed had always been super proud of Duffy and all that she had accomplished in her life. Again, she did a lot of cool things. She did all these trips to teach children in all these other countries. And she was just a really, like, good and kind person. 
Duffy was born on August 12th, 1981, which is just one day after my own birthday. This past August would have been Duffy's 41st birthday. Her mom posted on Facebook, happy 41st birthday, dear Duffy. We made you a delicious dinner and an almond raspberry birthday cake. All was delicious. You were here celebrating this day with us. Your life had so much meaning. I am so happy you were born. You are missed every day. Smiles and hugs to you, sweet daughter. It seems that she has an older brother and was likely the second child born to her mom, Sarah. I came across this video on the Bring Duffy Home Facebook page, and it was just so sweet. People who know and love her um, that came together to make this video, and I wanted to share a little clip with you. Her and I were so close. Always. I've known Duffy since before I can remember. She was like the big girl, and I was like the little girl that followed her around, and she would like do my hair. She had her whole life before her. She loved kids. She would volunteer to go work with orphanages in Honduras. She was great with kids, and she did her own little daycare camp kind of in the summers and um, took kids in for the summer and did lots of crafts and things with them. Duffy was our babysitter. Her eyes would get wide as soon as we would show up with Emily. She really mattered. You know, she was loved and she made an impact in the world around her. There's a bench at the Homer Public Library that is dedicated to Anisha Murnane as well as other missing and murdered Alaskans. And this bench is called the Loved and Lost Bench. Duffy's plaque on the memorial bench reads, Dedicated to the memory of Anisha Catherine Duffy Murnane. It reads her birthday, August 12th, 1981, and her death date of October 17th, 2019. It has a picture of her from the orphanage in Honduras and says, Forever remembered for your kindness and sweetness by your mother, stepfather, brother, numerous relatives and friends, your community, and the hundreds of babies and children you loved, nurtured, and taught throughout your life. Sarah has felt nothing but support from the community there in Homer, and without them, she feels that she would have died of the heartbreak by now. The community comes together after Duffy goes missing to do a walk. They all hold signs talking about how much they love her and how much they want her to come home. An entire town prepares to enter the holiday season without one of their own. Known by her family and friends as Duffy, she's been gone for more than a month vanishing during a walk in the middle of Homer. She's really part of the family of Homer. I think this is just, this is what you do. How can you not? So the community was super rocked by it because they all knew her and it seems like they've just rallied around her family. And while Duffy's case did get a lot of attention locally, it didn't receive much attention nationally at all. So this is where the case sits for years and the people of Homer are heartbroken, but there's no real leads to guide investigators to an answer until this year. In April of 2022, about two and a half years after Duffy disappears, there is a tip called in to the Kenai Peninsula Crime Stoppers. I was like, no, this cannot be it. That she's, we're just left hanging that she's missing. <laughs> so 
I'm glad there's more. Yeah, you yes. thought this was going to be it. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I want a conclusion. Yeah, no, there is definitely more of a conclusion. This case is not fully wrapped up, but that is thankfully not the end. We don't just not know. So this person gave us all this information. They call the Crime Stoppers tip line and they don't just leave like a little nugget of information for investigators. They leave a very detailed description of what they believe to have happened and who they believe was responsible for Duffy's murder. So they say that a man named Kirby Calderwood was responsible for killing Duffy. They even give an address to a home in Homer where they allege Kirby murdered Duffy and disposed of her body. So this tip is huge. Like you don't often get a tip that is like, hey, I know who did it. And here's the address of where they did it. Like that is crazy to get that tip. And it also solidifies a suspicion that the police already had because Kirby had already been considered them by them as a possible suspect since May of 2021. They had talked to him about Duffy's disappearance, but it wasn't until this tip that they were able to piece the puzzle together. Kirby Calderwood was a staff member at the apartment complex where Duffy lived. So he was one of the workers that would do her medicine checks or help her with her meals. He had eaten her meals with her many times. Oh my goodness. Isn't that so infuriating? Yes, it is. Like he just worked there with her. This creep of a dude. And Sarah, Duffy's mom, had never even seen him or heard of him before. Like when they tell her that they have the guy and this is his name and that he worked at the complex, she's shocked. So she thinks he might have just been a, tar- a part-time worker. Kirby had a history of violent sexual assaults that are reported to police as they spoke to women who had been in contact with him before. Women that had been in previous relationships with him. So it's reported by some of his exes that he was like sexually violent, that he had like fantasies of torture, that he was mean and cruel to animals. So he there was a lot of signs that he was not a good dude. And in fact, one of his ex-girlfriends had even reported his like assaults on her to the U.S. Army. But it's reported that they're not sure if anything was done about that and I don't know if that means that Kirby was in the army I was gonna say like does he have a record while we know like a little bit and like did the job not go into his background yeah while we know like a little bit about him and sort of what happened the trial hasn't gone through yet since this just happened this year so these are just like little tidbits of information so we'll probably see more of that like what exactly his record was and stuff when he is actually going through a trial in Alaska. It's just weird that he's working at a place like that. Where people are vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not sure that he did have a record. I don't know if she reported it and then, you know, nothing was done. But he seems to have been very disturbed. And his employment status explains why Duffy would have gotten in the car with him. This was someone she knew, someone that she trusted, and probably someone she believed would safely give her a quick ride to her appointment. But he abducts her instead. She was super close to her appointment. Like, she was only probably another five minutes away. 
via walking. And this is like what's so sad is because he was a staff member, I think it was so easy for him to be like, oh, hey, like I'm supposed to give you like a ride the rest of the way or I can quickly take you to your appointment. And why would she think anything else when it's a guy who is responsible for checking on her? Yeah, she wouldn't. She wouldn't think anything else. It's so sad. And by the time this tip comes in, Kirby no longer lives in Homer, Alaska. He had moved down by you (laughs) in 2022. He was living in Ogden, Utah. He was right there by you. Yeah. See, monsters are literally just living among us. So the month after the tip comes in, in May of 2022, a search is executed at the home of Kirby down in Utah on Quincy Avenue. I believe this search is done after they do a routine traffic stop on May 3rd to arrest him. Both his home and car are searched. Police find two rifles laying in his car. And inside of his home, not only do police find a missing person's flyer he had kept from Duffy's disappearance, they also find a watch that belonged to her. How suspicious can you be? It's found with a missing person's flyer of her. This is like his trophy. Yeah. On top of all of that, they find a machete and other knives that have dried blood on them. So, bingo, they have their guy. 32-year-old Kirby is arrested and taken to the Weber County Jail, where he is held without bond. The prosecutor in Utah believes he is likely to flee if he's released on bail because just after being interviewed during the investigation in Alaska, he promptly fled to Utah. On top of this, the van he is pulled over in, he had bought in Idaho, up here by me, and then he never registered it in Utah. So this further shows law enforcement that he had a willingness to hide. And ultimately, his bond is set at $1 million. And while he is being held in Utah, a grand jury on May 7th, 2022 in Kenai indicts him on the murder charges. So he's arrested in Utah, not based on the murder. He's arrested in Utah based on what they find in his home um, because he was not allowed to possess weapons and so they arrest him on that knowing you know they were working with the homer police so they know he's also suspected in these murder charges but it's not till after they do all their searches that they're then able to get the grand jury to indict him and then he's charged with the murder charges after he's already sitting in the weber county jail okay um was he with a spouse or anything I'm not sure that he was at this time of the searches, but I he was married to someone in Utah, which is part of the reason he can't possess weapons. So we'll get into that. They, the police, the Ogden police and, you know, the Homer police that came down for the search, they find marijuana inside of his home. So he's charged in Utah with possession of a controlled substance and drug paraphernalia, as well as third degree felony possession of a firearm by a restricted person, plus three misdemeanor weapon possession charges. He is also charged with a misdemeanor of violating a protective order, and this order had been served in December and was filed by a woman who lived in Cache County, which is there in Utah, part of, you know, Ogden's in Cache County. It is? Well, is it? No. It's in Weber. Oh. Cache County is in Logan. Oh. I looked it up, and it looked like by Brigham City and stuff. I know, like, Cache County is, like, Logan area. 
I have no idea. And I thought Ogden was in Weber, but anyways, it's about a 45-minute drive. Okay. It's at least northern Utah. Cache County, northern Utah, near Ogden. <laughs> so, you know, this woman, yes. you know, is down here. And it's believed that it's his wife. And it's also been reported, but not necessarily verified, that she is the one who called in this tip. Oh. Which makes sense because she did have information about the murder straight from the source. And the reason I can really, like, believe this, again, it's just alleged right now, but I can see it because if he was becoming increasingly dangerous to her, if she has this protection order on him, but he continues to threaten her, she could have seen, you know, her escape in... Oh, yeah. Send him to jail and he can't come hurt her. Yeah. And if she knew that he committed this, like, horrible crime, she's obviously going to be scared for herself. The protection order had happened in December of 2021 and then this tip is called in in April so it would be kind of they obviously probably broke up they were separating the protection order comes and he just continues to be dangerous and she wants him gone so maybe that is how this happens but Kirby has to first face those charges in Utah, and he pled guilty just this past October of 2022, like just barely. And so he's being held there in Weber for 45 days. And once those 45 days are up, he will be extradited back to Alaska. He will actually be released on November 19th is what is reported. And that means he will be going back to Alaska at the end of this week. And it's there that he will face the charges of first-degree murder, three counts of second-degree murder, two counts of kidnapping, first-degree sexual assault, manslaughter, and tampering with physical evidence in the death of Anisha Duffy Murnane. And the charging documents indicate that Kirby is out on the hunt that eerie day in October of 2019, and this is when he spots Duffy. He knows her, and he uses this to manipulate her. Once he's able to lure her into his car, he tells her that he needs to stop and grab a phone charger before he drops her off at her appointment. This is when Kirby takes her to what's described as a temporarily unoccupied home, which the home is alleged to actually be the home of the parents of Kirby's girlfriend at the time. So with them saying temporarily unoccupied, I'm assuming they either leave for the winter or they were just on a vacation and he knew they were gone. So he uses their home for this crime. Oh my gosh. You would be so sick if you found that out. I know. Can you imagine uh -huh. that that like happened in your house? Either like for her parents, just that that happened in their house, I'd move. And then for her to know she was dating this monster. Yeah. It's reported in many places that this is the home of his the parents of his girlfriend at the time so I do think that this is the case and he had already scoured the home and prepared to bring a victim here when they leave town he had prepared the crawl space he knew he was going to do this this was not like a last minute thing he invites Duffy inside with him when they get to the home he's like I'm going in to grab that charger you can come in so she unknowingly walks into her last moments of life Kirby pushes Duffy down into the crawl space, and it's alleged that he restrains her so that he can sexually assault her. 
Many reports claim Duffy was tortured during her time here, and there is an interview with her mom, Sarah, where she says that she was horrified to find out what happened to her daughter. I'm not sure exactly what happened to Duffy down there, but she was hurt by someone she trusted, and her life was taken in a brutal way. We may find all of this out when the trial gets underway, but we we may not. I'm not sure what they're going to keep private and what they'll release. It's reported that once he he's finished, he throws her cell phone into the Beluga Lake. As for where he disposed of her body, at the time of this recording, they still have not found her. Aww. Sarah said, quote, I just know that I want this man put away forever so that it doesn't happen again. And I don't want my daughter to have died in vain. I want her to have saved the next several victims that he would have taken. And that's the main thing. I'm just very upset that I'm not going to get her body back. At least we've got him. And that's where things stand for now. There's not a trial date yet. He has to be extradited back to Alaska. He's still in Weber County right now for those 45 days. We'll, of course, be following up on this trial as it gets underway. So we've got a couple in Alaska we're going to have to follow within this next year. Who knows if it will even be set for this next year or if it will take a couple years to get underway as it's, you know, a murder investigation yeah we'll have to definitely keep keep updated on it yeah on that loved and lost memorial bench there is another plaque that i wanted to share here at the end of the episode it reads across alaska people are disappearing one day they are walking across town in broad daylight and then they are gone they are picking berries on the tundra and then they are gone they are emerging from a tent pitched on a gravel beach and then they are gone. Across Alaska, people are being plucked from their lives, their families, and their communities like stars extinguished in the night sky. Around the world, tens of thousands of women, men, girls, and boys are murdered or taken each year. Indigenous communities are hit especially hard by this plague of disappearance. For too long, we have been silent. Now we must shout out to interrupt this litany of loss. For too long, we haven't searched hard enough. Now we must scour the land to end this epidemic of violence. For too long, we have been blind to the breadth of this tragedy. Now we must end the systemic stealing of women, men, and children from their lives and ours. We all have a role to play to end this violence and vanishing, to keep our night skies full of stars. If you have any more information on this case, you're asked to contact authorities at 1-907-235-3150. I'm your host, Kayla Waters. I also research, write, and edit this show. My co-host is Alicia Jenkins, and our music was created by Jaden Schultz. Our palate cleanser is given to us by Charlie Waters. And if you're a listener, make sure you leave us a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you haven't done so yet. And always share our episodes with your friends and your family. You can send them a link to your favorite show, and we would appreciate that more than you'll ever know. Hi, I'm Charlie Waters, and I want to know why we have belly buttons. We are going to be talking about them today on our palate cleanser. Your belly button marks the spot where your umbilical cord was attached to. Your umbilical cord feeds you nutrition when you're growing in your mama's belly when you're just a teeny egg. 
it goes to your belly button to the placenta. It takes away all the pee and poop since you're in your mama's belly and she doesn't want poop in her belly. It gets rid of the waste. That's why everyone has a belly button. Bye. Have a great day or night. The organization I'm going to encourage you to support is just to show support to Duffy's family by following the Bring Duffy Home uh, Facebook page. There you can find more information on their loved and lost bench memorial fund. Um, It's the move to act by the abduction of Anisha Duffy Murnane in 2019. The Loved and Lost Memorial Bench Project brings attention to two of Rotary International's key initiatives. And this is the promotion of women's health and safety and the prevention of human trafficking. So they say that this memorial at the Homer Public Library reminds us that violence against women and human trafficking impacts every community. Anyone can be a victim. And it does happen in our own backyard. Kim Zook is the president of the Homer Catchmick Bay Rotary Club. I do believe you can donate to the Loved and Lost Memorial Bench Project. And I just encourage you to go support via this Facebook page and, you know, see how you can get involved and support the family.